This episode is sponsored by Epic Loot Jewelry. Get your very own rings of power inspired by Norse culture by following the link in the description. Unless you've been sitting at the bottom of a river for the past 2,500 years, you've no doubt heard the chatter about Amazon's new Rings of Power streaming series. Set several millennia before the events of J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy, the Rings of Power appears to be setting the scene for the ascension of the Dark Lord Sauron, as well as the creation of the Rings of Power in the one ring that ruled them all. Now I'm assuming that the majority of you are lifelong fans of Lord of the Rings, like me, so you don't need to be reminded that Sauron the Deceiver gave out these magic rings to elves, dwarves, and men under false pretenses. Or that while the rings empowered their bearers with magical abilities, wearing the rings left them vulnerable to the manipulation of Sauron and his ring. Hence the one ring to rule them all thing. But if you're a casual fan of Lord of the Rings or new to it altogether, you're probably asking yourself, why is everyone in this universe so obsessed with rings? And that's actually a great question. One that, I'll admit, I never thought to ask myself until this new series showed up. Because when you think about it, Tolkien could have chosen any item to imbue with power. Why wasn't his series the Lord of the Amulets or Lord of the Crowns? Was it solely because those titles didn't have the same ring to them? Or does the real answer lie deep within the psychology of human beings and the history of civilization? That is what we're figuring out on this episode of the Messed Up Origins podcast by looking at the role rings have played in folklore, mythology, and even the real world. Brace yourself for the messed up origins of Rings of Power. Chapter 1. The History of Rings Before we go through the many, many examples of magic rings in folklore and myth, I want to talk about rings as a concept. This weird idea of wearing a circle made of various materials around one of your fingers and the variety of powers that cultures and creeds all around the planet have given them. Because that's what's so interesting about rings. They're an intrinsically human idea. But where did that idea come from? To answer this, we have to look at the oldest rings ever found by archaeologists, which, according to this article, were mammoth tusk rings dating back approximately 21,000 years. That is several millennia before the ancient Greek, Egyptian, and Mesopotamian empires were founded. Full disclosure, we weren't able to 100% confirm this finding, so take it with a grain of salt, but what this suggests is that the use of rings dates back to Paleolithic peoples who most likely used them as currency to trade with. It's believed that mammoth tusk was the chosen material for the Paleolithic peoples because they hunted a lot of these woolly willies and the ring's circular design was for accessibility. Wearing them on the fingers made them easier to carry around and keep track of. So as early as 21,000 years ago, certain society members mutually agreed to give these bone rings value and power the power to obtain goods and services. As time went on though, and as kingdoms rose and fell, the bling that humans wore evolved into actual bling. Instead of animal parts, they were made of metals like iron and steel and silver and gold. The designs also got more intricate and began to include precious stones. Sidebar, if I'm sounding weird this episode, that's because I'm sick and my voice is going, so have some patience with me. The Egyptians, for example, are famous for wearing scarab rings, which are thought to have served a variety of purposes. At the visual level, they were symbols of status. Only the wealthiest and most powerful had the right to wear such ornate and expensive accessories. If you saw someone wearing a golden ring embedded with an amethyst or turquoise scarab, you knew right away they had an important role in society, be it religious or political, and therefore they had all the rights that position came with. 
But what's really interesting is that these same rings were used as signets, official seals to authenticate important documents. So in addition to granting the person who wore it with power, the ring could also transfer that power to various other objects. A letter with a king seal was no longer just a letter, it was the king's letter and would have to be treated with the utmost respect. Rings continued to be used in this way and were exclusive to high society well into the founding of the Roman Republic. But as Roman civilization accumulated more wealth and power, civilian men and women were eventually granted the legal right to wear gold rings, something that's hard to believe was ever illegal. Starting with just the plain gold band, they eventually added more intricate gems and jewels, and by the first century CE, it wasn't uncommon for common folk to wear multiple rings on each hand. It was also around this time that rings began to serve a wider variety of symbolic purposes for Romans, besides just showing off that they could afford to wear them. For instance, iron bands were exchanged between individuals entering a business agreement, a tradition that would one day make its way into marriage contracts and eventually evolve into the overpriced engagement rings that we have today. Then, as we move into the Middle Ages, it became more common for rings to have magical qualities. Because gemstones were thought to be magical and apparently also followed the transitive property, so wearing them in direct contact with the skin was thought to amplify their benefits. Granted, this had already been happening for a while, potentially back to the ancient Greeks, but with more and more common folk now being able to afford precious stones, the belief in magical jewels and fashioning them onto rings became more widespread. Like this amethyst ring, which was recently discovered in Israel and thought to be at least a thousand years old, was likely worn as a hangover cure. For those who don't know, the word amethyst comes from the Greek word amethystos, which means not drunk, and the belief that amethyst stones were an antidote to drunkenness has been pretty well documented. There was also the beliefs that sapphire could expel envy and detect fraud and witchcraft, rubies promoted health and warded off bad thoughts, turquoise protected against poisoning and prevented falls, then there's diamonds, which bestowed courage and fought off nightmares. Anglo-Saxon rings were also said to be imbued with magical properties, and similar to Sauron's one ring, had runes engraved into the side of them. The difference here is that his inscription was just there for aesthetics, while runes were said to be what gave the Anglo-Saxon rings their power. So while this is no nowhere near a comprehensive timeline, you can see how societies all over the world have been assigning rings with value and power for tens of thousands of years. The power of privilege, the power to protect, the power to claim someone as your mate, and the power to fight off evil hangover spirits. And as fascinating as that is, the role rings have played in the myths, legends, and folktales these same societies told each other are also worth looking into. Chapter 2. Mythology and Folklore I think it's safe to say that nowadays, Tolkien's one ring is the most famous ring in the world. I mean, I don't hang out with jewelers or lapidaries, so I guess there could be other famous rings that I haven't heard of, but generally speaking, in the worlds of mythology and folklore, you're not gonna find a better known story about a ring than the Lord of the Rings. That being said, there was no shortage of stories featuring magic rings before Tolkien came along and it's interesting to see the different powers they've been given over the years. One tale that many think Tolkien took inspiration from, though he denied it, was Plato's myth of the Ring of Gyges. In this story, a humble shepherd finds himself in possession of a magic ring that turns him invisible, much like the One Ring and he uses his invisibility to sneak into the queen's chambers and seduce her. Then he murders the king and seizes his throne. It's an interesting parallel with Lord of the Rings, a man emboldened by his magic ring, committing evil crimes to get himself the power he always wanted. It sounds a lot like Sauron, 
or how pretty much anyone with the ring would have acted due to its corrupting nature. Another ring that I actually mentioned in my House of the Dragons episode a few weeks ago is Anvari's ring from Norse mythology, which was similarly cursed. To put the story simply, Anvari was a dwarf, and his ring was enchanted to make him fabulously wealthy, but one day, when he's in the form of a fish, Loki catches him in a net and forces him to give up the ring and all of his gold. Then, through a series of events that we may or may not know, the ring winds up in the possession of a guy named Fafnir, and its powers are too great for him to handle. Like his predecessor, he became fabulously wealthy, but he soon became a slave to his own wealth, just like my friend Tyler Durden said would happen. Afraid to lose even a single gold coin, Fafnir spent all of his time protecting his treasure and not even bothering to spend it. And this obsession soon corrupted his soul, leading to his transformation into a dragon. Now the obvious comparison to make here would be to Smaug, the literal dragon who hoards gold. But I also have to point out the similarity to Gollum, who was known as Smeagol until his singular obsession with the precious caused him to forget his own name. It's also worth mentioning how similar Andvari's ring is to the seven rings that Sauron gave to the Dwarf Lords. The intention was for the rings to enslave them to the Dark Lord when he put on his ring of power, just like how he enslaved the Nazgul, but instead, they just became unnaturally greedy. So at this point, you might be thinking, okay, so does every ring that grants power ultimately lead its wearer to become a twisted, evil shell of their former self, and I'm here to tell you, yeah, pretty much. That's actually the point of the Ring of Gaiji story, that absolute power corrupts absolutely. But surely there has to be some exception to this rule, right? Well, my gut wants to say, of course. It would be crazy to think that every magic ring ever featured in myth or folklore leads its wearer to the dark side. That being said, we dug pretty deep into magic ring mythology, and it seems like the stories that do break this rule always come with a catch. Like the ring featured in Sir Percival of Gaul, a 15th century story that's actually a pretty hilarious parody of the typical Arthurian knight stories. It follows Sir Percival, who steals a magic ring from a sleeping woman, and then goes on a bunch of adventures, one of which entailed him defeating an entire army by himself. He doesn't do anything particularly evil on his quests, but that might just be because it's not until the end of the story that he learns the ring was magic and made him invincible. So so if he knew he had that power, his story may have gone very differently. And the fact that he got the ring by stealing it from an innocent woman tells me that it most likely would have. Another story that falls into a gray area is the original Aladdin story from 1001 Nights, where he uses a magic ring to summon a second genie after the Jafar character steals the magic lamp. You could argue that Aladdin was corrupted by the end of the story, considering that he had everything he could possibly want and was still wishing for more, but only the lamp genie is to blame for that. For some reason, he only ever uses the rings genie to teleport himself out of danger. Also, unlike the past few characters we've mentioned, Aladdin's greed never harmed anyone. Unless you count him spying on the princess in the bathhouse and then making her sleep in the same bed with him while her fiance was Petrificus Totalist in the cold outside. That might have been a little traumatic. But now this brings a new question to mind. Are we judging rings a little too harshly here? Are they infused with evil energy that causes these characters to commit questionable or even downright despicable deeds? Or is the real corrupting force the power those rings grant? Well, there's another Arabian folktale called the Enchanted Ring that answers that exact question. I'll give you the short version. Essentially, there are two brothers. One of them is straight up wicked, and the other is like a male Cinderella. 
he's mostly passive and constantly the victim of his brother's wicked ways. Case in point, the story opens with the wicked brother accusing the good brother of conspiring with their neighbor to kill their father. And when their father hears this accusation, he beats the absolute piss out of his good son, then kicks him out of the house. Not long after this, the good son is wandering through the forest when he comes across a fairy who notices he's in a bad way and gives him a magic ring to help him out. It allows him to turn invisible as well as take on the appearance of the prince. And it's the second ability, transforming into the prince, that he utilizes to get his revenge. But he doesn't do anything that malicious. He scares his father and brother into apologizing by threatening them with execution, which he wasn't going to follow up on anyway. Then he takes charge of the king's army and conquers a nearby kingdom that was giving them trouble. And after all is said and done, he gives the ring back to the fairy. It's when the fairy receives the ring that we're given an eloquent analysis of the point I'm trying to make, because she says that she's going to punish the wicked brother by giving him the same ring. The good brother, horrified by this revelation, asks her, what do you mean by giving him the ring as a punishment? He will only use it to persecute everyone and to become master. The fairy answered, the same things are often a healing medicine to one person and a deadly poison to another. Prosperity is the source of all evil to a naturally wicked man. If you wish to punish a scoundrel, the first thing to do is give him power. You will see that with this rope, he will soon hang himself. And that is exactly what happens, mere mortals. The very same day that the wicked brother gets the ring, he starts conspiring to dethrone the king. And when the king finds out about this, he orders his execution. Such is the corrupting nature of unlimited power. It's for a similar reason that Gandalf and Galadriel had to reject Frodo's offer to take the One Ring. While they may not have suffered a literal fool's death like the Wicked Brother, it certainly would have meant the death of these characters as we know them, as beacons of hope and love and safety for our heroes. Their attempts to control and subjugate evil out of Middle-earth would have turned them into tyrants, treacherous as the seas and stronger than the foundations of the earth. All would love them and despair. Chapter 3. Why Rings Even though there are plenty of other magical items in Lord of the Rings, from staffs to clasps to innocent-looking rope, none of them can compete with the power granted by Sauron's ring. And now that we know some of the history behind magic rings, both real and folkloric, it's easier to understand why Tolkien would have chosen these little buggers to contain the ultimate power in his fictional universe. Now before anyone comments, I am fully aware that when Tolkien first wrote the magic ring into The Hobbit, it was with very different intentions. It wasn't supposed to be the most powerful weapon in all of Middle-earth, but rather a simple plot device that turned Bilbo invisible so he could be successful in his role as the dwarf's thief and survive dangerous encounters that otherwise surely would have killed this homebody hobbit. Originally, Gollum wasn't a slave to the ring either, and he was actually totally cool with giving it up as the prize for Bilbo's winning their game of riddles. It wasn't until Tolkien decided to write the Lord of the Rings trilogy that he changed the ring so that it belonged to the malicious and cruel Dark Lord who was hell-bent on dominating all life. But you have to consider that while he was making these changes, he could have easily turned the ring into any other accessory like an amulet or a crown, or even something more practical, like a dagger. So why didn't he? 
As we discussed throughout this episode, rings have been used to symbolize a huge range of beliefs and customs, from transactional to spiritual to medicinal. And I think it's fair to assume that Tolkien used the rings of power as symbols of his own beliefs. Judging from the negative tolls that the rings took on their wearers and even those in close proximity to them, we can see that he thought greed, control, and hunger for power were inherently evil. When the one ring was worn, it would turn you invisible, concealing you from the physical world, but leaving you exposed in the spirit realm. And if left on long enough, you would be condemned to live as a wraith. Then there's the few rings that did not succumb to Sauron's manipulation. Narya, the ring of fire worn by Gandalf that sported a ruby stone and inspired feelings of hope in those around him. Nenya, the ring of water had an adamant stone and was worn by Galadriel who used it to create and maintain the magical properties of her peaceful domain Lothlorien which expelled all evil. And lastly, Vilya, the ring of air which had a sapphire stone. We don't know this one's specific powers, but it's speculated to have had the ability to heal, preserve, and influence certain elements of nature, like water. With these positive values in mind, let's not forget one of the key messages of Lord of the Rings, that throwing even the smallest of stones can create huge tidal waves in the ocean of destiny. That even a simple three foot tall hobbit who had hardly ever left his homeland could journey to the epicenter of evil, carrying the Dark Lord's most prized possession around his neck. And most importantly, he could succeed in causing its destruction and save the world. So maybe the reason Tokian chose rings is similar to the the reason he chose hobbits. They're some of the smallest and most simple looking of artifacts, but they are still somehow capable of holding the most sacred powers that we can comprehend. Plus, Lord of the Earrings would have just sounded weird. So that mere mortals was the messed up origins of magic rings, or rings of power, whatever I decide to title it. But now I wanna know your thoughts. Do you know of any magic rings in literature that don't end up corrupting whoever wears them? Are you one of the um actuallys who's going to pointlessly argue with me about whether Frodo was technically successful on his quest since he too succumbed to the ring's power in the end? Let me know by hitting me up on social media under the handles Messed Up Origins or John Solo. Either one will do. Oh, and make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet. I post remastered classic episodes of the show on Mondays and Wednesdays. That's with all new sound effects and music and fresh episodes like this on Fridays. I'll speak with you again next week when we dive into some more messed up content. Until then, my name is John Solo, and don't forget, John shot first.